pride ourselves in talking about the things that interpreters tend not to talk about. Um, interpreting seems to be doing quite well. Maybe that's because there's something more to interpreting than just saying stuff. But you can just interpret it and go like, beep! <laughs> Moving on! Everybody has to get in touch with their feminine side every now and again. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I feel like we're really changing the interpreting space out there. Everybody's kind of thinking about it and talking about it. And I don't think that was the case necessarily a no. year ago when we did the first episode. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> What happens in the booth stays in the booth. Sort of. <laughs> Unless you turn your mic on. Welcome to Troublesome Terps, the cherry on top of the flaming Christmas pudding of interpreting. Oh, no, wait, it's already 2018, but we still have the Christmas bellies, I guess. But that's too much information. You don't want to know about that. Welcome to today's episode, which is going to be a year in review. And we have our usual suspects on the show, of course. First of all, welcome to Munich. Welcome to Alexander Gansmeyer. How are you today? Hello to any and all the naughty and nice boys and girls in Interpretland. This is your belated Christmas present. So I hope you do enjoy. I'm doing very well. And I believe you guys are doing the same. And we're still going to bring our jolly spirit into this episode. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, a very warm welcome to the beautiful land of Scotland. Jonathan Downey, how are you tonight? Thank you, Alex. Hello, boys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, interpreters, actually normal people. <laughs> It's, it's nice to ha to be back to our usual audio-only selves. Uh, as we'll talk about later, it was fun to do video, but this feels like coming back home after a long break to see family and friends and just being back home, chilled out and back to normal. And this time, we're going to have something really special. We have... The prestigious, so long as you don't think too much about them, Troublesome Terps Presenters' Choice Awards for people's things, events, stuff that have given us show ideas, entertained us, made us write angry emails and then delete them because you realise that you actually have a reputation to keep. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be talking about all of these things in our inimitable, uh, unenviable, I guess, Troublesome Terps style. <laughs> yeah. Before we get to those awards, I think we should probably have a look back at the episodes that we've done. We've actually had a very productive year this year. That's right. And I think yeah. it's the first year where I've missed an episode, which was not very good. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we, we've had episodes before where one of us was miss missing, but that was the case this year as well. Um, th there was one notable change, though, because we switched to a new podcasting platform with our shiny new domain in uh, earlier last year in February, but uh, that's probably rather technical. People don't really care about that as long as the podcast feed works, and I think it does most of the time. Um, and then, indeed, the, the first episode was um, a double whammy. That was our, our episode about yes. uh, gender in interpreting with Camille Collard. See, the, the, this is one of the, the episodes that I really enjoyed. Well, I enjoyed them all, but I really enjoyed this one specifically because it's unusual that you get a subject which everyone wants to talk about that research is doing something about and that actually we can have a really entertaining 
conversation about, I think, in a year where in the rest of the world, gender issues became really hot potatoes. It was good to start off the That's year. Right, yeah. We were ahead of the times in in a way. We were ahead of the times and actually from what I can see, um, interpreting seems to be doing quite well with that. And it was great to hear Kimmy talk to us about what is the difference between a male and female interpreter? And that's still unanswered questions. Why are interpreters, why are 70% of interpreters female? I was going to say why are interpreters 70% female, but that means something slightly. (laughs) There's probably something to that though. (laughs) <laughs> you know everybody has to get in touch with their feminine side every now and again yeah yeah that's right. <laughs> no but it was certainly a fun episode to do and and you know the the inspiration comes from from anywhere for these podcast episode episodes and in this case i think i met uh i've known camille for a while because she's based in brussels as well and i think i heard her presentation at the city conference in geneva in 2017 or 2016 i don't quite remember i think it was 2017 and then thought, well, this could be a very interesting topic for the podcast. And you two guys agreed that we should have her on. So we did. Yeah, and it really was. Yep. And I do believe that we're going to have Camille back at some point in the future, as soon as her actual research has been published and everybody has access to the information so we can discuss everything. Because if I remember correctly, she wasn't able to tell us everything in order to not get ahead of herself. So Yeah, that's right. She's still, uh, she's still in her PhD, yeah. It's yeah. the it's the frustrating thing with research that sometimes you know stuff that you can't tell anyone, yeah. um, and other times I, I was talking to my former PhD supervisor today, um, and I said one of the the other frustrating things about research is you know that there is an answer to a question out there somewhere, hmm. you just don't know what it is yet. So, or maybe you have the data, but you still have to go through it and go find it. Oh, no, the, the, I love, I, yeah. I'm a bit of a data addict. But anyway, yeah. then we had the episode that I missed, which I think is been, was one of the most fascinating episodes for me to listen to, was on Trump's leashing. And again, we're ahead of the curve. I was just really going to say are. that, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, as we're recording this episode, there's another debate about that. And the funny thing is, is this time it seems to be translators that are struggling. The interpreters are like... Really, people, we, we deal with this all the time. That's totally fine. Yeah. And the translators are, are really struggling. Well, it's um, journalists as well. I mean, not necessarily yeah, well, translators, but journalists that have to translate it and, and have to write, you know, their article within five minutes to go up on the website, that kind of thing. So you, yeah, you, you have the added time pressure as well. Which is exactly what we have in the booth as well, as you come up with something and you realize it was wrong five minutes later and you self-correct later. Um, yeah. But it... it it's one of these lingering questions, and, and it's one that I'm looking to find a better answer to myself is, you know, what is interpreting? If interpreting is just exactly relaying what is said, mm. then it doesn't matter what the audience think of us for saying it. Yeah. But if there's something slightly more to interpreting, then maybe that's what we're discovering when interpreters say, I'm really uncomfortable interpreting this. Mm. Maybe that's because there's something more to interpreting than just saying stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was the debate that we had back in the day was, you know, whether you, whether you, we should censor ourselves or whether we should distance ourselves from, from what we, we in just in general as interpreters, whether we should distance ourselves from what is being said. And the, the added problem or the added challenge this time around is that it's, uh, that it's a curse word, you know, that, that usually yeah. would not show up <laughs> on TV or in yeah, the media. Absolutely. But And that was the, the, the other debate that was happening, whether that should actually be rendered in, you know, on TV and in, in the newspapers if they should just reproduce it or whether they should censor it. I suppose the easy answer is just print lots of stars in their own, let people make up their own word. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that works very well when you're doing interpreting because you can just interpret and then go like beep beep. <laughs> fill in your own blank. That's an no, interesting strategy. Really, Alex. Ahead of the curve, and we, yeah. I think this yet again triggered a really interesting discussion. And Alex, I think it was your post that I saw on Twitter the other day because I think you said something to the effect of if Trump doesn't or isn't mindful enough of his own words, then should we as interpreters and translators even be mindful enough to really put so much thought into it? Like, how do I bring this across? How do I translate it? And I think those are really interesting discussions mm -hmm. that we haven't had before on such a wide scale. So I think that's something at least interesting that's come out of that discussion. Yeah. And then we went from a challenging speaker to booth mates. Yes. With with Roberta. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that, again, you know, we, we pride ourselves in talking about the things that interpreters tend not to talk about. And apart from the standard, you know, don't let your booth meet near, near garlic or beans when they're working with you. <laughs> yeah. It's not something that we massively get into because there's something about the secrecy. You know, what happens in the booth stays in the booth. Mm. Sort of. <laughs> unless you turn your mic on. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that's the thing of, you know, there's actually another episode to be had there about how much of, you know, if, for example, you had a nightmare booth mate that you think is a danger to the profession, is there a point at which you say to other interpreters, I feel this person shouldn't be in the booth, or is that not your place? Yeah. That's a whole other episode that, that we should have, especially... Is in the that really a question, Jonathan? <laughs> well... A theoretical one? It, it, yeah. it's, a th it's Thankfully, it's one I've never had to deal with because I have always had had lovely booth mates. So. Yeah, fair enough. Good for you. But yeah, you know... But I mean, that this was a, a double episode as well, because it, we were running quite long, but there was just so much yeah. interesting stuff to go through with Roberta, because we covered several of her articles. Um, and we also talked a little bit about marketing, and this is where the title came from, I think, delivering the golden package to, to the client. And, and marketing is not usually a topic that we cover, but I think it was um, an interesting angle in, in this regard. So that's, that's one thing I was taking away from that. I'm sure we'll get back to marketing. We'll get an episode on marketing at some point. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Absolutely. we should do a, a crossover yeah. episode with Corinne McKay or, you know, something like that. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Then after Roberta's episode, we yeah. moved on to one of our all-time favorite topics, which is remote interpreting with a cat on your lap. And to all of those who've joined us previously, you guys know that we did one of those episodes. I think it was one of our very first episodes that actually dealt with this topic of remote interpreting as well. So this was kind yeah. of like a take two um, a year later. So An update, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Here we discussed and, the updated environment. And to be honest, I know certain of our colleagues will aim sharpen darts at me for this. I'm not seeing any massive changes in the past year it's simply that the marketing has gotten shinier a studio has opened and you know i i've not seen anything that's made me go or oh, remote interpreting that has completely changed from a year ago it, it's there it's bigger it's bolder it's brighter hmm. has it remarkably changed has its market share jumped i don't know i'm not entirely sure well, I think there may have been more uptake with yeah. it, but I'm probably not the right person to judge that. But but it's I think the the, the bigger changes happen sort of be, be below the surface in yeah. I don't know you know medical yeah. interpreting in the US or court interpreting in wherever. I think mm. that's where you see the changes, not necessarily with 
the platforms that have the big marketing budgets, but sometimes also with, you know, customized uh, platforms or, you know, custom installations. So we may not necessarily be aware of that, but I, I do believe it's happening. And I do think that the biggest change in that year that we've spent in between those two episodes is the mind share, because I think now yes. interpreters everywhere are really talking about this topic, either because they're curious or because they're afraid or because they think it's going to be a challenging change. But everybody's kind of thinking about it and talking about it. And I don't think that was the case necessarily a no. year ago when we did the first episode. Completely I, agree. I, yeah. I think also the environment has shifted. We may get to talking about more of this later, but I think there's now an appreciation amongst most platform makers that unless they get good professionals on board, they are sunk. Hmm. Um, and I think with that realization, I said most, not all. I know a couple of examples. <laughs> um, I say but, some. <laughs> but, but especially with people like uh, Evandro Magalhaeth, um, I completely mispronounced that. But There's with an episode Evandro, for that, actually. <laughs> How to properly pronounce the name. <laughs> with, 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 a, with our lovely Brazilian friend working with Kudo, I, I think there's something to... There are steps that are going to be made. I still remain skeptical about whether it will take significant market share from traditional simultaneous interpreting, certainly from what I've seen as a consultant. Mm. I, I've not yet had a client that I would expect to take. In fact, I've not yet had a client ask me to supply remote to a standard conference. So, you know, it's it, it's going to be interesting to, th to see how things go. Yeah. And I think one thing that has definitely changed was that uh, a big association uh, that starts with A has now started its own, um, do they call it a task force, Alice, uh, Alex, or do, do they, at least they have a, a group, a body in place now that is that is yeah. looking closer. That deals officially with it. There was just a big, big survey that I yeah. took. And funnily enough, you know, I actually thought I was relatively... Uh, well, I don't know, experienced, quote unquote. I have no idea how to say it, but I, I mm. have some experience in this domain. And funnily enough, I still jumped 50% of the survey because it simply didn't apply to any situation I've experienced. So okay. that was quite surprising when I took the survey. Yeah. Yeah. So what what were those bits about? Do you remember? I'd have to go back and look. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Moving on. Moving we can right cover on. that when for, with on our next episode about remote. Then we'll cover exactly. That. <laughs> and, and then we went from that to social media, and there is actually quite a lot of link between them. And I think Alex Gunsmar, you said that our social media episode was the most downloaded ever, which is a lovely piece of irony. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and it I, is. I think there's some. There's a a debate still to be had over not being a Muppet, as Hugo wonderfully put it, mm -hmm. but the fact that interpreting traditional, invis interpreting traditional invisibility is, has been working against us for a long time. Um, and it's this balance between we need to make interpreting more visible and show clients that it makes a difference versus we really don't want to be taking a picture of the, the chairman's uh, financial report. <laughs> Mm. That, you know, the, I, I'm wondering if instead of it being a fine line, it's actually more about the thought processes behind it. And I have seen colleagues who have been told by clients, let's have a selfie together and put it on Facebook. You've been such a good interpreter. Mm. So, you know, it's like, you know, the, the, the landscape is changing away from the days of blanket, you know, this is what you have to do. This is what you can't do. 
Well, and we certainly didn't agree on everything as far as I remember in this episode, because as you just said, there is this balance, you know, between having more visibility for the profession and, you know, telling people about how you could make a difference. And then on the other side, respecting confidentiality and privacy. Um, but but I think I mean that's where the title comes from as well. Social media muppet. That's what that's what we want to avoid being. But we rather want to be smart Absolutely. about what we post and yeah. be smart about posting the hashtag booth uh, with a view. That was my shock that's moment. Right. Yeah, for <laughs> me too. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and it seems to me that that has gone back a little bit. Maybe there are yeah, other I reasons feel for so. that. I feel like we're changing. I feel like we're really changing the interpreting the space industry. out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. The interpreting space. <laughs> Please. Yeah, but um, the, it was certainly only, yeah, Jonathan. The only interpreting space that I really care about is the one that's demarcated by the booth. <laughs> 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 yeah. Right. Exactly. But then from our most downloaded episode, we moved straight into our second most downloaded episode, which is yeah. uh, the mental health one with Jesse Mason. And I think both of those episodes strike a chord with so many people because they're very general. You know, everybody can relate to um, struggles with social media, but then also everybody can relate to kind of the the not necessarily the mental health struggle, but struggling in stressful situations, how to cope with certain factors in in your job or maybe you know if you've experienced a traumatic uh, situation yourself how to deal with that so i think those truly struck a chord with with many people absolutely yeah absolutely correct um and um i I also i also saw a a big feedback on our twitter channel i think on our on our our twitter account because we had a lot of followers sort of around the publication or announcement of that episode um and and particularly lots of interpreters from the the psi and also from the sign language sector so uh, we should probably uh, follow that up at some point or make something that is sort of related to that um and maybe just a general remark if people have questions comments and just in general also episode ideas we're also always very glad to to uh, take them and you can just um you can leave a post on Twitter and you can tag us or you can just leave a comment on our website or send us an email. We're always open to topic ideas and episode ideas. And also, if you, if you know yes. someone who is troublesome and who should be on our podcast, you know, we're also happy to receive suggestions at any point in time. I mean, and I do not tire of the idea that at some point we're just going to do a full Q&A episode. So if totally. you have any questions yeah. that yes. aren't necessarily good for a full episode, please do send them anyway and we'll collect them. And then yeah. eventually we'll get back to them. And if you organize a conference, we're totally up for having a troublesome terms plenary talk. Um, yes. Just thought that either. <laughs> um, but one of the things as well off the back of the, the mental health episode was it does now seem... And I wouldn't say that we should take credit for it, but it does now seem that some of the traditionally taboo topics in interpreting, people are beginning to say it's okay to talk about these things. Mm. Um, and so this is why, it's, even if you want to send us an anonymous message, because I understand there are some topics that you think, I don't want anyone to know I suggested that. If you want to send us an anonymous message, you know where to find this. Yeah. And we will we'll take keep it confidential. On- We'll keep it confidential and we'll take on the tough topics because I'm sure there are topics that we haven't even thought about that are actually keeping interpreters up at night. Yeah. Um, And and the more I get to know interpreters, the more I realize that we need to put the person back in interpreter. Mm -hmm. Um, Person, I don't know how you say it. (laughs) It's all right. We got it. (laughs) Interperson. Interperson. 
interpreting is an interpersonal <laughs> skill. Yes. My motto, which I'm very close to putting on a t-shirt, is I used to think interpreting was a language skill with people attached. Now I realize it's people skills with language attached. Yeah, I was thinking about that just, just this yeah. very moment. We, should, we definitely need to turn this into a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or a, or a red head, you know? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Make it well, like, personal again. The, 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 there's one more episode that we should talk about. And this was, for me, the scariest episode that we've ever done. Mm -hmm. And that was our UTIC special live video jamboree. <laughs> jamboree. <laughs> which, from what I, I like could it. tell, actually worked. No Music one's connection failed, which was amazing. Um, yeah. Now, it, it was fantastic to do that. And it was great to see the questions and answers. I don't know about you guys, but I got quite awed by the caliber of people who were asking questions oh yeah um, absolutely in some, in some cases people who i would be asking questions too <laughs> <laughs> yeah and suddenly that and i think that's that's a testimony to we're becoming i don't think we really have many gurus in interpreting we're becoming quite a flat field <laughs> and it's, it's really good it's really really encouraging to see people listening to the podcast and interacting I was just going to say yeah. um, something about that. What you called, um, what did you say, a flat profession or a flat? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because we had this this thing at work today where we uh, had had an old staff day and we got to think about our work for for a day and and discuss with each other, which was really nice. And one thing that one one thing we really um, took away from that was that interpreting is such a, a flat profession in terms of hierarchy, and even if you've done it for thirty years it's still interpreting and if you've done it, if you do it on day one it's also interpreting and though yeah. it feels differently it's basically the same work and and that's i think one thing i really like about the whole thing i mean um that that you really are sort of on a on an equal level because even if you've done interpreting for 30 years you can still learn something from someone who does it for the first time and vice yeah. versa obviously and that's that also happens and i really like that yeah, I did a um, a job towards the end of 2017. I can't believe we're in 2018. But towards <laughs> the end of 2017, I did a job. And for probably, you know, it was either the first or second time that I shared the booth with a native speaker of my B language. And it was fascinating that we were picking up phraseological things from each other mm -hmm. um, and realizing that actually... Although traditionally, you know, I don't know about your booth, but often I'll be, you know, doing term checks with my booth mate. What I was doing as much as anything else is going, that's a really nice French phrase. I'll use that. Um, and it, it's nice that you can do a job and go, actually, I'd never thought of putting it like that. I'll do it that way. And because he was giving really nice Swiss French, it inspired me to then push the level of my English delivery. Um, and it's funny how having a new booth mate, although I really missed my usual booth mate, but having <laughs> a new booth mate can actually make you develop in ways that you haven't thought of before. It's invigorating. Yeah, absolutely agree. And scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, depending on the booth mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you were just you were just speaking about gurus. That was interesting because um, at, yep. uh, during the weekend I was in in Valencia for the AIC assembly, which is the the big meeting of of AIC um, every three years. And Franz Pöschhacker was there, and I, I had to think of you, <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> he was just sort of, you know, innocently rambling, uh, not rambling, but innocently running around um, on the conference floor. So that was that was interesting. He he is a, a lovely, lovely guy, and you wouldn't think 
to meet him that he was in terms of things equivalent of Stephen Hawking. Yeah, yeah, we have to have him on at some point. I don't know if somebody yeah. can make an introduction, please do. <laughs> well, actually, I've I was in contact with him not so long ago. I'm he was my PhD external examiner, and I recently had a a paper out in his journal. So you know, I, yeah. I have what are you waiting for? <laughs> Bring him oh, on. I feel like we know who's going to make the introduction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't possibly do anything of it. <laughs> okay, um, well, we'll come yeah. back to that. But I, I, I thought, um, since we're looking back at, at the last year, it, it would be interesting to maybe also talk a little bit about interesting events that we've attended or interesting conferences. And we we have covered the topic of conferences in episode eight. I just checked. Um, and we talked a little bit about, you know, academic conferences and practical conferences, and there were quite a few yes. good ones um, this year. So I thought we we could probably talk about that for a little bit. And, and um, interestingly, there are two, I think, in this list here that we have in our script, uh, where Jonathan and I were both in attendance. And while we still haven't been in the same room, all three of us, we have at least yeah. managed to have two, <laughs> Get a webinar. A configura- several configurations of two oh. in the same room. <laughs> And the webinar, of course, oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah, because, you know, I only attended the bar camp that we actually organized, that Alex and I and um, a whole host of other fabulous colleagues organized in Karlsruhe this year. So there it was Alex and me, but then Jonathan was missing. So I feel like yeah. that was kind of my turn to, to hang out with one of the troublesomes. <laughs> um, but yeah, besides that, I actually only attended the AGM of the, the, the VKD, the German Conference Interpreters Association, just because... Um, yeah, I just don't have a lot of time, and uh, oftentimes these kind of conferences they kind of clash with, um, well, just my interpreting schedule. So I'm yeah. trying to better myself, though. So this is kind of one of those things that I'm I'm looking at in 2018. I already missed Valencia just because I'm was still on my Christmas holidays. But That's a good excuse. That's all right. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use that for as long as I can. But, yeah, yeah, that's right. And just a quick, quick plug: if if you're a if you're a conference interpreter in Germany or in any of the German-speaking countries, any of Germany in, com- in your combination, the next bar camp will take place in early March in Regensburg. March. So yeah. yeah, that's a little plug right there. So I think one of the I'm trying to think of all of the conference I went to. F- four events last year I may have missed one. Um, the interesting one that I found, and again, possibly because interpreters traditionally don't talk about marketing, was Alex and I were at the CIOL marketing event. We had a really nice range of speakers, um, most yes. of whom I'm still in, in contact with, actually. Um, and I find it fascinating how we're suddenly realizing that interpreting is a business. And because it's a business, we have to market it. But the way we market it isn't the same as other businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it fascinating. I think I was talking on getting into client magazines. Um, right. yep. we, 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 we had the chat kind of on, if you like, MBA style marketing as well. Um, and I think it's fascinating that we're only just beginning to discover, you know, one of the big questions is why do clients buy interpreting in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Um, and when when you start to see some of the answers, it surprises you a little bit. I'm beginning to realize that no client ever buys accuracy, apart from maybe courts. They're buying a service to produce results. Mm-hmm. Um, and accuracy matters because it helps produce the result, not because it's a thing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, how did, how did you find that conference, Alex? Because it must have been strange for you to be at a marketing event as a staff interpreter when kind of 
um, Skeek seem to have that covered, the, the kind of value proposition covered in the, the European institutions. Yeah, I mean, we, we still have to do marketing to some extent because we need to convince our clients as well to, you know, make use of us and we have to find new clients as well. That's, uh, it's a slightly different marketing, but it's, it's some kind of marketing nonetheless. But um, to be perfectly honest, the main reason I went to London for that event was to uh, to to see you and to see Marta, and we got Aww. a very nice. F no, it's true, and we got a very nice photo bomb Aww. out of that, so it was totally worth it. <laughs> oh, and and we met um, Hugo and others. So Hugo was at that yeah. event as well, which that I was think, quite yeah, was one of the uh, one of the steps that led to the social media episode. So there you go. Yep. And then we had ITI conference where Alex was really taking center stage, blowing me away with the fact that you can do so much with a tablet. Um, by the time this episode goes on, I should be fully healed at the moment. The only thing I'm doing with tablets is not <laughs> feeling so sore. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got, I, I got, oh, I'm not going to go into it, but I got an injury over Christmas and New Year. And yeah, so, you know, when Alex talks about putting apps on your tablets, I'm thinking, but they're so small and they basically dissolve in water. How do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. No, but I, the the one thing that I, well, I, take, I took away a lot of things from the ITI conference, but there were lots of great speakers, obviously. Um, there was Lane Green, who is the um, uh, the economist language columnist what's it called the johnson column that's right um he's also great on social media by the way um then there was um what's her name jonathan help me out um the lady from tv uh Su susie dent susie dent yes yeah. that's right what who was your favorite speaker that's hard to um actually i would have to say justine um, that's where we met Justine Mason. That's right. Yes, uh, and it's it's where we heard the uh, mental health thing. Um, I also have to say, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the ITI board. Sarah, the ITI chair, and Paul, the ITI CEO, really impressed me not only with the skill of their presentation, but with the fact that they're demonstrating a vision of where the professions can go. I think if there's one thing that we are desperately crying out for in these times of ours. It's for association leaders and for, if you like, professional leaders to stand up and be counted and say, yes, we can do better than just being swept along by trends. Yeah. Um, I think we need, we do have, inter yes, it's a flat profession, but we do have influencers and we need influencers to stand up and say, there's something better than just doing whatever you're told to do. Yeah. It's actually a great segue because I wanted to say that I saw Sarah Griffin uh, Mason speak at the TC39 conference in London yes. in November. Uh, TC is for translation and technology. Uh, no, the, uh, translation and the computer. That's right. Um, and it's usually more for translators and language technology geeks. Um, but there's, there's starting or have started opening it up to interpreters as well which was great and she gave one of the keynotes which was fantastic um so we definitely should have her on the show at some point i think absolutely and there were lots of good conferences last year i mean uh, i went to too many i think uh because i remember traveling a bit too much last year i have to change that this this time around uh didn't start that well because i already went to the ache assembly last weekend but uh there you go <laughs> is, is there anything you're looking forward to this year in terms of events or conferences 
I can't wait to get back to BP. So I went to BP 18, which was my second BP conference. Chaba Ban, who organizes it with his wife, really raised the bar. We had an entire day of TED Talks, uh, TED style talks, and then we had a day of long talks. Um, and we had pe- when you have people like Chris Durbin, Judy Jenner, mm-hmm. um, several association leaders on stage, you know you're going to have a good day. We also had the then president of FIT, Henry Liu, was yep. there as well. Mm. Um, and to have that level of speaker at a conference, I had never met Judy and Dagmar Jenner in person. They are every, they are every bit as amazing in person as they are in writing. Yeah. Um, and it was it was incredible because you're hearing person after person essentially giving the same message, but in such a, a different way. Um, you're hearing about people's journeys, and then when you did the, the longer sessions, you were hearing more detailed talks. And I think it's amazing how inspiring you can be in 20 minutes. By the way, the talks are all available. The first day talks are all available to buy. I highly recommend them. Oh, I did not. not That's good. Not just because I did one where I got four industry leaders to play with bars of hotel soap on stage. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so I'm really looking forward to BP19, especially since I got to use the word but, as in B-U-T-T, in my presentation title. That's unexpected from you. Yeah. So I, I've got a talk called Get Off Your Butt and Get Clients, uh-huh. um, which is on my ongoing journey. Um, last year as well, I went to TLC in Warsaw. I find it fascinating because it it's a really, it's a very tech-driven conference but it's a conference where you will hear a lot of people with good, solid, critical opinions as well. Mm-hmm. And if I was to have a New Year wish for this year, it would be that interpreters start driving the tech conversation rather than the tech people driving the conversation. Amen to that. Yep. No more tail wagging the dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Um Great. Um, so I think we've talked plenty of conferences um, and we looked into the future a little bit, but let's maybe stick with the year in review for a, for a moment there. And um, we, we have a, a list here of a few interesting stories that, that came out in the language field in general, I guess, in 2017. But I don't know if, if you, I think, Alexander, you had a, an article that you really liked. Do you, do you want to talk about that for a minute? I did have an article that I really liked, and it was, again, by our friend Ewandra, who was on our podcast. And it's actually, oh, God, let me get it wrong. I think it was called Seven Things Your Staff or Your Chief Interpreter Would Like Mm. You to Know. Yes. Um, And, yeah, it really spoke to me at a very personal level just because (laughs) I organize a lot of different interpreting teams. And those kinds of things that he mentions in the article, why not all of them do necessarily apply to the freelancer field and and how it works there with the teams it's very spot on so (laughs) if we can link it down below in the podcast description do read it if you get a chance it's a lengthy read but it's worth every second of it so that was definitely one of my highlights this year Mm -hmm. but i'm not even sure if it came out this year but i think he re-released it on his blog yeah Yeah. that's something that i wanted to talk about actually can can you guys recommend a good source uh you know where you can find uh, well, I guess just articles about language and or, or interpreting specifically, because not everybody, I think, wants to spend as much time on Twitter and social media as we do. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe let's get back to that episode about social media. <laughs> it, it's a difficult one because actually the articles, it, yeah. the articles that have inspired me most this year, and I hate to say it, have been ones from outside of our industry. 
That's um, fine. Yeah, I, I've, I've been really inspired that. this year by um, articles from people in other businesses. Hmm. Um, and I actually, I'm, I'm realizing now that no article is any better than the use that you make of it. Um, yeah. It, it's been fascinating to, there, there was a, a guy who just recently released, a guy called Jude Mingus, who released um, just a quick, brief LinkedIn article on, um, you know, the, did you use anything on your 30-page business plan that you probably prepared when you started? <laughs> hmm. And I thought, he's got a point. Now, there's, there's two kinds of interpreter. There's a kind of interpreter who starts with exhaustive market research and then realizes that the market they studied is not at all the one that they've come to. Or there's a kind of interpreter that goes, nah, wing it when I get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was a bit of the, I think I know what I'm doing here, but what I didn't realize and what one day I want to write about is I I am 10 years, January 2018, I'll be 10 years as a professional interpreter. And Congratulations on that. Thank you. What really, well, it was three years until I got my first assignment, so you know. <laughs> but what really stumped me was how much the profession has changed in the past two or three years. Um, I don't know if it's the same in the, the more established markets, but certainly in the UK, the profession has, has changed beyond recognition in the past two or three years. Um, and now I feel like in order to keep up, I'm having to read articles from business people on things like marketing, sales funnels. Um, those kind of things are really now in my mind all the time thinking about what does it look like to have a high value business? Yeah. Um, should interpreters have a sales funnel? Well, that's a good question. You know, the answer that I would have given you six months ago is not the one I would give you now. Um, yeah, but I do think that's kind of the point, right? Because we do know what we're doing. We do know interpreting. We kind of know our market. We know our colleagues. Yeah. We know the most prevalent technologies out there, be it in a booth or tour guide or even remote. You know, we kind of know our way around that. But I do think looking outside our own comfort zone and, and reading other um, or other industry publications is kind of the way that you really push yourself forward on a, on a business level, but also on a personal development level. Because I do think that we need to do that. We need to look outside our own little kind of interpreting space, interpreting box, if you will. Yeah. And, and yeah, just try to kind of expand our horizon on the business front. Yeah, I, th I think what you're doing is just right. Jonathan, were you going to say something on marketing or yeah, uh, the business? Yeah, yeah I, I was going to say a couple of things. One is I apologize to other colleagues in advance, but I've unfollowed over half of the interpreting and translation people that I'm connected to on LinkedIn. I've not disconnected at all. I've just chosen to unfollow. And so gradually I'm training my LinkedIn feed to show me very few interpreting and translation stories, but lots of business stories and business articles, and especially business articles are relevant to the kind of clients I'm trying to appeal to. Um, and it, it, it's a, it was a strange decision to make, uh, but now I'm choosing picking and choosing exactly what I read and what I pay attention to on social media. And I would advise in the spirit of our social media episode that if we want to do sales and marketing right, and if we want to speak clientees rather than interpreters, mm, nice. we probably need to wean ourselves off of the interpreter echo chamber. We yeah. probably need to spend maybe Pareto and do 20% of our time um gleaning from other interpreters and 80% gleaning from the wider world. I don't know if that's the right proportion, yeah. but it's certainly what I'm aiming for at the moment. 
And we just just keeping with this interpreting echo chamber, which is something that is spot on, I think. Um, and I remember tweeting something a couple of days ago about how I become increasingly annoyed by interpreters complaining about uh, badly spoken English or globish or whatever you want to call it, or English as a second language or as a foreign language. Um, and that got quite mixed reactions, which was interesting. It led to an interesting little discussion on Twitter and then, you know, some colleagues saying, well, but, you know, it's a real problem and people do not really communicate. They cannot get their message across when they don't speak their, you know, their mother tongue. And sometimes they can, but they still decide to speak English. And um, others said, yeah, I completely agree. And it's it's not, you know, it's it's not our... It's not our choice. I mean, if a delegate decides to speak English, that's their right, of course, and that's their decision. And then we can bitch and moan about it in the booth when the mic is off. But, you know, when inter or when, when clients are potentially listening or reading, we probably better shut up or yeah. know, you put on a brave face. Put it differently. Do it. <laughs> I mean, we, there, there's nothing wrong with writing pieces. I remember I wrote a piece not so long ago about the benefits of doing public speaking in your native language. Mm -hmm. We have to understand that language choice is both an identity choice and a political choice Absolutely. for bilingual people. So, for example, I'm French is my working language, but if I were ever to be called to testify or taken to a French court, I would ask for an interpreter. Oh, you bet I would too. <laughs> um, and, and so if we're aware... That, lang that for us, language is a business choice, a political choice, an identity choice, then we have to understand that in some cases, clients feel that they are more intelligent sounding in broken English than in perfect Macedonian or whatever. <laughs> um, mm. Now, we might not agree with that, and we could point... I mean, I've written an article on... I had an article in um, Flybee's Flight Time magazine in 2017 on why you're going to sound a whole lot better in your native language. But there are, are good reasons why people choose to speak in Globish and broken English. And to assume it's just a language thing is to can entirely miss the point. Yeah. But but also, Jonathan, and I think this is important to, to kind of get on the record here, your articles, both of those, put a positive spin on it. You know, it was always like why it's better for you to do this and why you would sound better in your native language. And it's not like you shouldn't do this. You don't speak a foreign language because you will sound bad. And so I, I like that you actually put a positive spin on it. And I think that's the way to communicate because if you, if you well, tell people off, like, yeah. don't do this, you're going to suck at it. That's going to be really bad for you. Then, you know, that's not really kind of the, the, the way to go in speaking to, to grown folks because <laughs> they can do whatever they want. <laughs> well, I, I, have a yeah. I have a policy as a consultant that I stop working with interpreters who speak neg negatively about clients in public. Yeah, and it's the same about educating clients about the difference between interpreters and translators. Most of them yeah. really don't care, and it's fine. Yeah. So long as they do the job, they really don't care. And yeah. we'll survive, you know? Yeah. yeah. As long as they think that we're going to be synchronous interpret uh, translating <laughs> their, their thing and they still book us, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm happy. Yes, I need a team of two synchronous translators for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I did joke with someone who said, you know, can you simultaneously translate at this conference? And I said, well, I'm not sure I could type that fast. And then I you know, had a laugh, but it was fine. Um, <laughs> and the client looked at you dumbstruck, like, what is going on here? <laughs> I, I think it was like a networking event, and they, they actually found it funny. But that moves us on to the most controversial thing and something I have to be careful how much I say about because I've just signed the book deal. And this is... <laughs> Um, 2017 was the year 
when machines thought they could do our job. Um, we've got here Amazon entered uh, the machine translation world. And of course, with Amazon Alexa in apparently everyone's house, uh, they're going to be the world leaders in interpreting buy me a pizza, <laughs> yeah. buy me some trousers. No Alexa uh, in my house, never ever. Yeah. And then um, you've got Deep L. We've, we've got so many people coming into this market. And lots of money too. Yep. Lots of money. Now, may I say that my impression so far is that unlike remote interpreting, there have been no professional interpreters involved in any of these launches. None of these companies that I'm aware of have gone, okay, let's talk to the people who are currently doing it. Let's hire one That's correct, and see if they help us make it work. Whereas with yep. remote, you have people like Iwandro and... And Barry. Um, and Barry, thank you. You can edit out the finger clicking. <laughs> um, you, you've got Iwandro, uh, Magathayeth, and Barry Olsen. Um, edit out my foreign pronunciation. Magayas. whatever. I was going for Spain and Portugal. They're, you know, Spanish and Portuguese, they're basically related anyway. Yeah. I think the <laughs> anglicized version is Magellan, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So you, you have Iwandro and Barry working on remote interpreting and helping the companies to be seen. When it comes to machine interpreting, you have, meh, we don't need them. And then they go to shows like CES and the big tech shows, and they have a bad... So the BBC trialed Google's earbuds. And <laughs> oh, yeah, the earbuds. I, I, the think they buds, gently, yeah. I think they gently said it was a mixed bag. What they really meant was, ha-ha. <laughs> um, but again, it's there. The likelihood is it's going to replace phrase books. You know, where is the nearest toilet? I'd quite happily use my phone for that. Um, but if I was trying to sell £10 million worth of widgets, I wouldn't pull, you know, I wouldn't ask someone to share an earpiece. Hmm. Just not going to work. Um, that was one thing that surprised me a little bit, though. I don't know how you feel about that also, to, to Alex, um, that they have decided to to use a dedicated gadget or a dedicated device instead of just putting software on the on the phone, because, I mean, that's what it boils down to, and you can just use the, the loudspeaker on the phone if you don't want to share headphones with someone. So I, that I don't quite get, to well, be honest. That's, that's kind of just going into Google's marketing strategy, just because everybody's doing Bluetooth speakers, so they basically... <laughs> so they basically cut the the regular plugs for your plugs on the new phone. So they had to sell their Bluetooth speakers and they just wanted to give them a sort of a USP. And they said, oh, our Bluetooth headphones can actually do simultaneous translation. Yeah. So that's <laughs> well, the, that I get that was actually point. smart. But if you look at the, what's it called? The, the Pilot and the Ely and Travis the Translator, they're all oh, those dedicated earpieces or dedicated gadgets. And that doesn't make sense to me. Actually. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah, I don't get that because I need to basically just be carrying around another gadget. But And you have to charge it and you have to have an internet connection. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not so sure about it. The, the, this is one of the things that I realized is that all these machine interpreting devices rely on reliable internet connections. And maybe it's just a British thing, but it seems like when I do interpreting, you have to make sure that you have extra um, mobile internet because you're guaranteed that the conference hall Wi Fi will fail at some point. Yeah, um, or it's bloody expensive. And, yeah, and, and the amount of interpreting I've done in situations where, you know, relying on Wi Fi is not going to work. Um, so I think it will be interesting to see how that develops. I expect the hype machine to go into overdrive, but my rule in life is at the moment, ignore marketing, trust the engineers. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, and you know, can I just go back to the the question you asked earlier, Alex, about the favorite articles or any good sources mm -hmm. for for writing? Uh -huh. I think oftentimes we, what I've found is that the people who write really good articles and kind of churn them out regularly is people who have something to market. So it's not necessarily <laughs> always. Point interpreters who work on a daily basis, you know, who really know the ins and out of the business. It's usually people who, who want to push a certain point or a certain uh, marketing agenda, however you want to call it. And that doesn't mm. necessarily take away from the fact that they might write amazing articles, but you always have to kind of look at the bigger picture of why they're writing and mm. and kind of what's going on around the articles. Yeah. But they can still write amazing articles, as many of them do. <laughs> Which reminds me, actually, Interpret America is one of my favorite sources. And I think it was a piece from Common Sense Advisory on the rise of remote interpreting platforms. Which, can I just interject, that article yeah, was please. literally one of the biggest letdowns if i'm going to be gently, like yeah. i have seen in a while like i, I know we're going to come back that to article. this yeah. i i think we need to come back to that as in, in our awards ceremony yeah we'll um, come to that in a second yeah. But, but yeah i i think we have to there's got to be a point where we start holding organizations that should be neutral accountable for what is at very least a lack of neutrality. Um, there are some things that were said in that that I think are very interesting and very useful. As a researcher, or just go and read my reply. My reply was written very much with my researcher's hat on. Hmm. Um, and the reality is I don't think anywhere we have reliable data on the key stats on remote interpreting, such as um, real-life interpreter stress levels, we don't actually know whether it's cannibalizing any com um, conference interpreting market share or whether it's likely to. Yeah. We don't know whether it's an a replacement for conference interpreting or going to integrate into existing conferences. There's a whole lot of stuff we don't know hmm. and a whole lot of stuff that, market that the people marketing the service are saying is established, which isn't. And I think we have to say, if we don't have the data, we don't have the data, stop making that up. Yeah. Maybe just yeah. one last point on the whole, you know, stuff we like to read in 2017. Um, I think there were quite quite a few articles and lists of uh, professions of the future slash mm. professions that are likely to die <sighs> with autom automation and AI because everybody everybody needs to talk about AI even if they don't have a clue of what's going on. So there was a lot of that. <laughs> Uh, and most of it wasn't very interesting, but uh, maybe we can link a couple of articles for those who, who would like to yep. read about it. And that was just one thing yeah. that I wanted to mention, I because you talked about branching out into other fields and I, I didn't I didn't go that far but um, I, I read quite a bit about speech writing and from speech writers last year and went to two speech writing conferences and that was extremely, extremely fascinating because they are also of course in the business of communication. Um, lovely crowd as well lovely bunch of people so um i really recommend you know going into another field even if it's closely related and and just you know getting to meet those people and learning more about how they approach things and about their mindset since that is excellent advice so should we should we come to the to the main highlight to the award yes, section drum roll here <laughs> Drum. 
Yeah, because we figured we should probably, if we do a year in, in review, then we have to do like a top of the year and a flop of the year. We'll come, we'll come up with a with a better title for that for next year's show, but for now it'll do, I think. How did, what did you call it? The the Troublesome Terps Host Choice Awards? Choice Awards, yes. That doesn't fit on a plaque or on a trophy, but I like it. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the thing is as well is that this, um, 2017 was a year where I just think it was a fascinating year to watch. I think interpreting is we're seeing a new era in interpreting in several ways. None of us have any clue where it's going, but I, I think it's worth celebrating the people who've really made a difference this year. Okay. So should we start with the top of the year then or with the flop of the year? What do you think, guys? <sighs> oh, uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I think... I, I, the flop of the year because yeah. I always like ending on a high note. Okay, good. Yes, then. let's start with the, the the flop of the year. I just need to look up my um, top of the year anyway. Yeah, <laughs> and, and my suggestion was we just we just do it round robin style and um, we, we just get to yeah. to pick one each. Um, although there may be some overlap, I don't know. So since, <laughs> since we just talked about these translation earpieces and and babble fishes and what have you, I think that is my. If not flop of the year, then at least disappointment of the year, because one of them, the the pilot, I think it did finally ship in the end, but it was extremely late and I think mostly disappointing. And I haven't really heard of them at all since then. Yeah. Um, the Ely had very bad uh, marketing because they, they were basically running around Tokyo chasing after girls with their device, which was a terrible idea. Which especially, was horrible. Yeah, especially oh. in 2017. Yeah, um, I know. Hashtag me too. So that's my that's my <laughs> flop of the year right there. I think that's um, a very valid pick. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say machine interpreting has been the flop of the year. Um, yeah, I, I I would have to to go with that as my flop of the year, but it, it, for a different reason. That is because it has the potential to do something valuable, and they've just shot for the moon. And they haven't even gone even near the moon. They've kind of crashed down to Earth with a bang. And I, I actually, I hate to say this, but I hope it's rescuable. Yeah, uh, mm. I mean, it, if we, when we say it's been a flop, that doesn't mean it cannot get better or you know cannot yeah. change completely next year or in two years. Yeah. yeah, and it actually has the potential to help us as human interpreters do a better job. I was yeah. reading something today about how. Um, regular translation memories will soon be outdated by AI-assisted translation memories just because they will be able to predictively help the translators do a better job faster. And I think kind of the same approach can be taken in interpreting eventually. Mm. So that's kind of something where I can see AI or even machine interpreting kind of helping us do a better job at human interpreting. Yeah. So win -win. yeah. Yep. Agreed. Did you guys yeah. want to pick something else for top of the year? Anything else that, or anything else? Oh, that, for flop of the year? Yeah, flop, uh, of the flop year. sorry. I, yeah. My personal <laughs> flop of the year, I think it kind of goes into that technology direction again, is all these remote um, simultaneous interpreting platforms, <gasps> platforms, because they're just popping up like wildfire everywhere. Yeah. And each and every single provider claims to have reinvented the wheel and they're going to shake up the industry, disrupt everything like <laughs> we've never seen before. And it's just like, come yeah. on, guys. Eventually, one of you is going to kind of, you know, figure out how to do it. But until then, just, let's just 
you know, Take it keep easy. our pants on. Yeah. But was there not a conference that I wasn't at where a remote interpreting platform, as we see in Scotland, <laughs> got, got, got their, um, what is it, got their arm in a sling to them. from, oh, yeah, from okay. interpreters? Yeah. Um, now, there may or may not let, have been such an event. Let, let's not name names. <laughs> okay. Let, and also, let's not name names on people in our comments box who have had their uh, rear ends handed to them. Um, no. But I think there is there are two lessons there. One is interpreters cannot ignore this stuff and they have to engage in the debate civilly. The other lesson is the platform providers have to realize that whether they like it or not, they are the servants and professional interpreters are the master. Mm-hmm. Because without good professional interpreters, they have no service. They can tell clients whatever they like. Without us, they're sunk. The only way for a, an RSI platform to win is to get interpreters on site. And that is the truth. And if they don't like yeah. it, they will go defunct and we won't care. I mean, well, maybe entire- they're just kind of counting on the fact that Siri is going to do our job eventually. So, you know. <laughs> exactly. I was <laughs> just going to say serious. that, you know, <laughs> maybe. They are just thinking, well, at, at some point, AI is going to be good enough. But I mean, for the two or three years, we'll just have to make do with those crappy interpreters that give us our right? time all the time. You know? uh, I, wow. I, I, I actually, I, I am brave enough to say that I predict that 2018 will be the year of the human interpreter. It will be the year of the human interpreter. You heard it here first. Um, it, it, 20, 2018 is going to be the year that human interpreters suddenly realize how amazing they are and clients suddenly realize that I think the market is going to grow in 2018. And I think if human interpreters take the opportunities that are ahead of us, it's going to be our year. I'm totally drinking to this. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Cheers for that. Should we move, should we move no, to the no top one of in the year? You can see the size of yeah. Alex's wine glass at the moment. It's tiny. It's it's about as tiny as Donald Trump. It's Trump's the smallest hand. wine glass I've ever seen. So sad. <laughs> exactly. So sad. <laughs> oh it's god. True, yeah, I f- I really feel in the mood for the top of the year now. What do you think, guys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've been so mean to people. We should probably be nice to yeah. some people. Do you want to go first, Jonathan? Did you find something? Okay, I have a joint top of the year. I can't decide. Okay. Ju- Justine Mason is my uh, interpreting figure of the year. Um, right. I think we should be listening to her much, much more. And I think we, we should be really, really doing stuff about mental health. I want to thank her for coming on Troublesome Terps and going to ITI conference and reminding me of how important mental health is. And it's going to be something I want to be pushing as much as I can now that I've seen that we can do stuff. My talk of the year actually goes to a talk from BP conference in Budapest this year and it was a talk given by a man who works for a Swiss bank. Now, that may be controversial, but <laughs> David Jamilite of the Banque Centrale de Vaux in Switzerland gave a fascinating 20-minute talk on the place of translators in the bank that, that he works for and the fact that now the translators have got so much respect that the uh, source language content creators come to the translators for advice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing talk. It's on YouTube. Buy it. It's an incredible talk. And it's inspired me because all of this time I've been thinking about, you know, working in partnership with clients, making a difference to clients, realizing what we do and all of these things. And the their feedback from interpreters has basically been, that's nice, but I don't see how it will work. 
And then you get someone like David. Admittedly, he's a staffer, but <laughs> the, the fact, well, you know, it, it's, well, different, it, it's different if you're on the payroll than if you're a freelancer. I know, yeah, just but but talking more. to people like uh, David and then talking to business people and saying, yeah, you know, I was talking to a, a guy who helps consultants grow their businesses, and he said his entire way of doing business is partnership and adding value, and you know showing people that that they can do better than they're doing before and i'm now realize that david humility's talk inspired me that if he can do that in a bank as a translator Mm -hmm. then interpreters can do something similar if we start working with similar client you know if we start working with the same client over i don't know three or four years there's no reason why we can't make the same difference um and it really it really was a high point for me to realize the crazy idea that I had about interpreting about the fact that we can be partners and not just service providers. Hmm. Someone's doing it for translation. So maybe it's possible for interpreting. Sounds good. Yeah. Do you want to go next? Us, I think, or? Yeah. I think my top of the year I've already mentioned is Evandra's article about the, the things he wants you to know about chief interpreters. And I think it kind of actually, if you take it a step further, goes in the direction that Jonathan was just mentioning, because I remember reading the article vividly. I was on a plane and I felt myself just nodding along and I was really pissed that I was on a plane because I really just wanted to send it to people and be like, read this, he's so right about everything. (laughs) And I think if you take it a step further, it's also about providing a service, you know, because I just kind of felt like the article applied to me in my freelancer life, even though I don't have a chief interpreter um, managing me, or even if I'm not the chief interpreter, but I felt like I could apply it to my um, event organization and team organization efforts. Mm. And with that, provide a service, an added service to the client, but also provide a service to um, the profession, kind of to the colleagues who I would hire on these teams. And I just really feel like what he wrote spoke to me. I've said to a few colleagues since then, and they all agreed that he really hit the nail on the head with it. Mm. And I think if we could just kind of look at these, these elements and... Um, well, internalizing them is probably the wrong the wrong word, but kind of recognizing them and trying to make it so that we're a better team. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we're yeah. all on the same page. You know, we're all fighting yeah. for the same team here. Sure. And yeah, I think if we can all kind of get on the same page and make each other's lives easier while also making the customer's life better, we can provide a better service, which goes to Jonathan's yeah. point. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And uh, well, on the topic of providing a better service, I guess my my sort of top of the year would be webinars for interpreter CPD. Um, it's a bit tongue in cheek because I did a, a whole webinar series with uh, Josh Goldsmith last year about uh, tablet interpreting, but I also participated in quite a few very good webinars for um, for CPD. So there was, for example, the one that Maha Elmet Wali gave about SimConsec, which was very interesting. Um, there were uh, webinars about translators without borders that I've watched. I've watched a webinar also um, about the platform that we're using to record this episode, Zoom, which is a video conferencing platform, a very good one. Um, and there was also a webinar, um, just escapes me now, but oh yeah, they're right, um, about several uh, software solutions that I that I watched for um, managing clients and just managing your um, interpreting or freelance business. So that was sort of my certainly CPD related top of the year. And of course, CPD as we have probably mentioned in every other episode, if not in every episode, is very important. Can, can I just say I'm not an IEC member <gasps> yet? <laughs> I know. 
I know. I, oh, I thought that was kind of. <laughs> I should be kicked out. But one of the things that really encouraged me, I was following the Twitter conversation on the Ike assembly, and to hear Ike talk about making CPD required, I think is the best move I've heard. Um, one of the criticisms, and I say this with many hats on, is that I know people who have tried to organise CPD for interpreters and all the interpreters back out last minute because a job came in. Okay, Now, I know how important jobs are. I know uh, how much our schedule can revolve around doing work. But the reality is there's two things. One, if we keep doing CPD and keep growing, we'll probably be able to charge more. So the cost of saying no to a job actually pays itself back because we can do better jobs or more jobs. And the second thing about CPD is that if we don't do it, we will fall behind. And so I don't think it's a, oh, you know, I, I, I can't go to this CPD thing in case I get booked. Well, if you should be going to that CPD thing so you get booked more, so you get paid more, so your rates go up. Fair point. Um, and also... I'm sorry, but if, if I went to the doctor and they said, you know, the last time I did any medical training was three years ago, I would go somewhere else. <laughs> um, and our clients are entitled that, you know, if a they, they don't, but, you know, if a client was turning around and say, when was the last time you worked on your interpreting skills or did CPD? And our answer was, I did a degree, I did, I did a degree 20 years ago. Why do I need to keep working <laughs> on it? Mm. They would look at us like, like we were even weirder than we actually are. Um, so I think CPD should be one of the essentials of interpreting. And if you stop doing it, you stop being a professional. It's as simple as that. That's a very good point, yeah. And and while I still prefer in-person CPD, so actually going to events, meeting yeah. people, talking to people in real life, I'm, I'm, I've really become even more convinced of the value of uh, webinars because there you um, you still have the recording available if you do miss it for some reason. Yeah. Um, and then you can go, go back to it. But of course, you miss out uh, compared to the actual webinar because you don't get to ask questions. Um, but still, I mean, it's better than nothing is probably what I'm trying yeah. to say. Can I also say some of the best CPD that I've done has been finding people who have written interesting things and, and sending them an email and asking them a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. um, can I make a big advertisement for actually emailing people? <laughs> it sounds like we shouldn't have to, but um, I I remember when I was doing my PhD for a year, I decided that anyone who wrote an interesting article, I would send them a quick email and ask them a follow-up question. I learned more from doing that in that one year than I did going to any class. Yes, absolutely, yeah. we yeah. should be doing in-person CPD, but, you know, send people email questions. It's most people take it as a delight that someone's actually read their stuff. Exactly. Maybe just send them a note and say, thank you. I really enjoyed reading the article. Yeah. That's enough. I mean, you don't even have to come yeah. up with a question. But, you know, people really like to hear that. And we, we probably we, don't we, do it often enough. And things like, you know, thank you. I really enjoyed the podcast. I got someone recently who wrote to me, te who wrote to me telling me how much they enjoyed the Troublesome Terps podcast. And I was, I was, it is, it is. It's Yay. silly and it's geeky, but it's nice. amazing. Yeah. It's it nice to see. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, we're, we're speaking to our screens at the moment. We we don't know what's going to come of this. Um, but, you know, <laughs> something nice will hopefully come of it, I hope. Of course. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe to, to wrap things up, um, do you want to do a quick peek into the crystal ball or the magic eight ball for next year? 
Oh, for this year, actually. It's 2018 yeah, already. Yeah, for this year. <laughs> Is there anything... <laughs> well, let's put it like this. We do a round robin and we can all say uh, something that we're really looking forward to or something that we expect to happen or to see this year. What do you think? Yeah. I'll let you two go first. <laughs> Well, first of all, let me just get in another quick plug. I'm really looking forward to the next bar camp in Regensburg. Good one. Because that's going to be that's <laughs> going to be great. And that's definitely going to be my very first CPD event this year. It's going to be mm-hmm. four days. So I'm going to try to get that going and, and keep the ball rolling in 2018. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to build on that. And I'm also going to plug the bar camp, of course. Um, but I'm going to say I'm looking forward to... <laughs> Devirtualizing more. Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, I went to this AIC uh, assembly right now, uh, this this weekend, as, as I said earlier. And on Saturday night, we did a, a meetup. Um, it was not really a Twitter because there were quite a few people there who are not on Twitter, but people that I just knew from the AIC directory or, you know, from somewhere where I read the name or I heard the name. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to meeting more people in real life in 2018. Not just interpreters, but, of course, lots of interpreters. That sounds um, great. Two things I'm looking forward to in 2018. One, I should... Well, I kind of need to finish the first draft of my book this year <laughs> for various reasons. Yeah. So um, I have just been... Well, in January 2017, um, I received a book deal from Routledge again. I'm going to be writing a book on the future of interpreting given the rise of AI and... Um, MT and lots of other abbreviations. Um, we have settled on a title. I'm not going to say it publicly yet. <laughs> um, so I'm going to finish that this year. But I really do think, to go back to what I said earlier, I think this year is going to be the year of the human interpreter. In fact, I would like the UN to declare it year of the human interpreter. We can <laughs> but, um, just declare it no, that, you know. It's the troublesome we, terms year of the human interpreter. There you go. There we go. There you go. We, we have declared it. And <laughs> a, couple of reasons, a couple of reasons why I'm saying that. Number one, um, the number of interpreters I've met who are taking the business side of interpreting seriously is growing day by day. Um, And I think we now have this whole push to do CPD, do marketing, tell clients what it is we're about. I think that's going to grow in importance. I think we're now becoming cheekier with the way that we respond to things and being smarter at the same time. And I think also... Given the political climate, I think a lot of interpreters are now discovering commercial corporate interpreting a bit more. The old certainties are dying. The new realities are growing. And I think this is the year where if we grab the opportunities that we have, we can look back on on this year as a year when human interpreters actually won for a change. (laughs) Um, But I mean, let's face it, 2017, our PR was basically non-existent compared to every single device that said it would replace us. Mm. I think 2018, we're now realizing that we can use social media to talk to clients. We've had um, uh, Ewandro's TEDx video. We had someone interviewed by LinkedIn on on interpreting. I think this is going to be the year that human interpreters become cool, or rather that the world admits that we are as cool as we know we are. Yeah. Um, and I think every if everyone who listened to this, I don't know, wrote to their local paper about one job they've done, anonymously of course, hmm. um, got one thing out somewhere about interpreting, um, I think it would make a huge, huge difference. Maybe that should be the troublesome interpreter challenge. If every listener does one piece of PR, I think it'll be an amazing year. 
What can I say? <laughs> that was the perfect wrap-up for this episode, wasn't it? It um, surely was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed this one. Um, we, we did, we always prepare something. Of course, we are interpreters. <laughs> uh, but we, we basically threw a lot of random material into, into the script, but I think it, it turned into a, a relatively listenable episode, and I hope the listeners <laughs> yeah, agree. Relatively, <laughs> less, <laughs> yes. relatively listenable. Yeah. yeah. And, this is one of the things where every what we should say now is every guest that we have on the show we swear to secrecy about what the background of Troublesome Terps actually looks like <laughs> and we're still not going to tell you what the background of Troublesome Terps actually looks like but let's it, yeah, just say we started this recording at 4pm this afternoon is all I'm going to say <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.